<clears throat> my, uh, my thoughts this morning are uh, kind of, I kind of like to tack on from what I talked about uh, last Sunday, which was, uh, you know, King Asa and how the people were given uh, peace and rest after they had uh, cast out and destroyed their idols that were in their lives that was uh, <laughs> withholding peace from them. And uh, I'd just like to tack on to that of another another uh, scripture I find that is a, just a, another lesson from the Lord on, a, you know, a, obtaining you know, rest and peace and uh, with our, our minds and our thoughts. And it's uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 16.3. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite passages, which is, uh, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Uh, that that is a, a like I said one of my favorite verses and there's a lot of you know it's a very short verse but there's a lot in that verse that you can kind of pull apart and look at uh, I think it's it's great you know that he says and I thought shall be established and when you think of something established you think of something something firm something that something that's not moving uh, when something is is firm like that you know it's at peace it's calm it's quiet it, you know, I don't know if any of y'all are like me but you know I have a tendency in my mind to uh, overthink things and sometimes you know not not be very calm with my thoughts you know if I have something bothering me or you know that'll tell you sometimes you know I have trouble sleeping sometimes at night you know uh, if I have something that's you know bothering our minds you know it's very common for us to happen to us uh, for our, our mind not to be firm or not be established <laughs> and here uh, Solomon is giving us uh, you know a, a simple lesson on that on how to how to establish our minds how to Quiet our, how to quiet ourselves, how to feel at peace. And he says by, commit thy works unto the Lord. Now, uh, that word commit, the, the Greek word we get that from, uh, that, that word can also mean uh, to roll. I thought, that was kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting, how you think of uh, to roll something. And usually whenever, you, and, and works does not also just mean, you know, our actions or things. It means a, a product. It means something from us, something that we have. It's you know, it could be like in this instance, where I'm going with this is a, you know, something bothering you, something that is a, afflicting you, a burden. Now, usually, whenever you roll something, you roll it because it, it's heavy. You know, that's, whenever uh, you, you know it's something that you can't literally pick up because it's so heavy, you have to roll it. Uh, in Psalm 55:22. David says to cast thy burden upon the Lord. So you know we're we're, t- we're we're told you know if you have something that's too heavy, too heavy to carry, that you're having to roll, roll it onto somebody who can take it from you. You know you've heard the expression to you know take that monkey off your back. You know we have a lot of issues in our lives that are, are very very heavy, very hard to carry. And uh, if you try to carry them all by yourself, you, you'll find that uh, very hard. You won't find your mind established. You'll find yourself worrying and not at peace. And uh, so, so I like that idea of rolling, of rolling your burdens onto the Lord. And, uh, and and there's nothing wrong with doing that. We're told to do that. I think the Lord is is pleased whenever we come to Him and try to cast our burdens upon Him. If you read throughout the Psalms, you'll find David uh, did that uh, quite often. He would he would take all his problems. And, Roll them up to the Lord, and it was often and it was often that he would uh, find peace from that. Uh, <clears throat> that word commit can also mean uh, to run or to seek. And if you think of all those uh, 
all those people that were sick and afflicted in the New Testament. You know, Christ, uh, he healed a lot of people, some that didn't even seek to him, some he just came to and he healed. But there were some that they literally, they, they sought after him out of faith in him, that they knew he could heal them, that he could take this burden from them that was afflicting them. And uh, they sought him out and seeked him. And through that, you know, Christ, Christ healed them because of their faith. So uh, I, I think here, you know, that's just another application of that. You know, if we, uh, if you seek out the Lord, he's going to give you peace. He's going to calm that spirit, that mind within you. Uh, <clears throat> and another, uh, another thing I gained from this, just by breaking this down, you know, is that the, the word thoughts can also mean plan or purpose. You know, that's very, you know, I have a lot of plans or purposes in my life that, you know, sometimes I don't really know what I should do or what I, what I need to do. And uh, I think just like, you know, like a like a parent, you know, I think parents like when you go to them and ask them for advice, you, know, you seek counsel from them on, you know, something that, that, that you should do. Whenever I've made, you know, big decisions in my life, I don't normally just make them on my own. I normally... Well, Call my, I'll normally call my dad or I'll call somebody, you know, that I have a lot of respect for, a lot of faith in, that I know will give me sound advice. And uh, I think just like they helped me, I think that I think that's pleasing to them. And I think it's the same way with God, just like, I mean, you know, he is, he is our Father. I think it pleases him too whenever uh, we seek to him for our plans and for our purpose of what we should do. And uh, <clears throat> we can do that in, in a number of different ways. You know, uh, you, you, <laughs> with works, that can mean that something as simple as, uh, you know, praying to God or, or studying your Bible or uh, literally uh, exercising your faith, you know, uh, doing fruits of the Spirit. And I think through doing all those, by doing all our works to the Lord, that He will show you what your plan or purpose is. And, you know, whenever, you know, you, you have that figured out, you have peace. You know, there are examples, because, you know, it's very important to be careful of who you who you seek advice from. There's a you know <laughs> King Solomon, his son uh, Rehoboam, after uh, Solomon had passed, instead of seeking counsel from the the same counsels that you know had, had advised Solomon, he said I'm gonna he said that he didn't like what they had to tell him because it was a, it it isn't what he wanted to do. So instead he sought counsel of his of his buddies of his friends because he knew they would tell him exactly what he wanted to hear. And uh, in, in not being careful of the advice that he sought, he, he did not have peace. He had wars, and he was uh, <laughs> and it was it, it was not good for him. So it's important to you know be careful who you seek advice from. And I think the best person that you know we can seek advice from is uh, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> so the, you know the the main thing I'm going with this verse is that you know if you know if you're if you're struggling if you're having problems. Or if you don't know your purpose or your plan that you should do in life, commit thy works unto the Lord, and you'll find that, uh, and you'll find that you will have a peace, and your mind will be quieted. And uh, and uh, just like uh, King Asa did, whenever he had uh, destroyed his idols and had peace, I think that you will find that you have the same. Thank you. Morning. morning. I'll put that down there so I don't. <laughs>
It is good to be back here with you at Buffalo Church. It's been a little while. I don't know how many months it's been, but it's been a little while. And uh, it's just good to be back. It's good to see each and every one of you. And uh, I've looked forward to coming all year. And here we are. So that being said, I do very much appreciate uh, the invitation. I do very much appreciate that opening, those opening remarks. Uh, that's uh, very good practical lessons that I need to be reminded. <clears throat> you pray for that young brother there. I'll tell you. You know, I'm standing up here. I see some other young brothers back there. Probably need to be up here too. <clears throat> see, I'll pray for each other. Pray for this church. Pray for your pastor. I had the privilege uh, last night. I stayed with Brother Kevin and Sister Ginger and uh, got to really see true hospitality. I want to tell you, it's a, it's a blessing for this church and each and every member here to have a pastor and his dear spouse given, truly given to hospitality. And that ought to be something that you all praise the Lord for. This morning, I'd like to begin in 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn with me to 2 Timothy to maybe carry on the thought of what Brother Cole opened up with. I would maybe like to try to talk to you this morning about <clears throat> discouragement and encouragement. <clears throat> we struggle with this. I know we struggle with this because I, a man, uh, and sometimes question why I was called of God to stand before people and preach in his great and holy name. I struggle with this thought. I struggle with <clears throat> doubts. I struggle with discouragement. I struggle with the things that go on in the world. Um, I have struggles just like every, every child of God has. And it's amazing to me that how quickly we can be encouraged in the Lord and then how quickly we can fall from that. How it doesn't take just a whole lot of time uh, right after we've been encouraged in the Lord it can just be a day, a couple of days, maybe a week if you've truly blessed and you're holding on to the things of God. But I'm going to tell you, the devil is really good at discouraging God's people. He is a trickster, and he wants to trick your mind into abandoning the blessings of God. He wants you to abandon uh, being built up in the Lord, and he wants you to go right back into living in fear uh, in this old, crooked, perverse world in which we live. We live in a sin-cursed world that we can't control, uh, but I'm going to tell you the Lord's in full control. Amen? Can I get a witness? Is the Lord in full control? Yes, he is. He's in full control. We are not, but we talk to the one that is. We talk to him. I hope you talk to him. I hope you pray. If you don't, I want to encourage you to start practicing. 
This morning, I'd like to look at 2 Timothy because 2 Timothy is a book that a minister, a preacher, wrote to a young preacher who was discouraged. He wasn't discouraged in the Lord. He was discouraged in life. He was discouraged in where he was at in life, what was going on in his life. He was just discouraged. That happens, doesn't it? If you shake your head, no, you're a liar. But that's okay. Romans says that all men are liars. He was discouraged, and Paul knew that he was discouraged, and the Holy Spirit encouraged Paul to write this letter to him. And I want to begin in chapter 1, verse 1, and I want us to analyze, if I could say it like that, why the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write the words that Paul wrote to encourage a young man. He begins the letter, Paul, naming himself an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Now that's a pretty interesting way to start a letter. What do you think? Now, for him to introduce the letter to Timothy and begin saying, Hey, Timothy, it's Paul writing to you. That's one thing. But he goes very deep right in the very beginning of his letter to Timothy. And I believe that there is a purpose, obviously. Uh, and it's a purpose for Timothy, again, uh, to be built up. But see, Timothy's not going to be built up in Paul. We're just not. It's an encouraging thing to witness uh, things that uh, brothers and sisters in Christ do. Okay, for each other. It's encouraging. That is something to behold. But I'm going to tell you what. It's not something that we can hold on to long term for ourselves to be built up in to do ourselves. Okay? Paul was a, a called apostle. He was taken up to the third heaven. He did see Jesus Christ. He did... Uh, you know, write the majority of the New Testament. Uh, he was inspired by God. He was a changed man. There was no doubt about that. But Paul knew at the end of the day that it wasn't himself that Timothy needed to be looking at for encouragement. It was only the Lord and the Lord alone. So what's he say? He says, yes, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, am writing to you, Timothy, but I'm only an apostle according to... To the will of God. It was by the will of God that I am what I am. You today. Who are you today? Do you realize that you are you only by the will of God? That's it. And it's according to what? It's according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for this morning for that promise? I don't tell you... You can, I, and I do, I encourage you to, to read your Bibles and begin in Genesis and just scan through if you, man, you can't. you got to read it. Find every promise that God made to man. And you find me one that God broke. There's not one. Now, you find every covenant that, that's promise, you find every covenant that God made with man, tell me how many times... Man broke it. I'll tell you every time. There's not a covenant that's been made between God and man that man has not broke. But I'm going to tell you, there is not a covenant that's been made between God and man that God has broke. He's never broke one. 
He says here that I am an apostle, Timothy, of Jesus Christ. It's by the will of God. Because where was Paul? Where was Saul of Tarsus? He was going to kill Christians. That was Paul or Saul of Tarsus. That was his will. That was his free will. He, he sought letters from Damascus. He sought letters from the high priest. And that was his will. I'm going to kill Christians. They're disrupting my Jewish religion thing. And I don't like it. And they need to die. That was his will. But see, the Lord stopped his will and imputed his own will. And by the Lord's will, now he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that will came to be according to the promise. That was a promise that was before. It was the promise of life. And that promise was in and, and is in Jesus Christ. He says now to Timothy. To Timothy. I would like for you to read this morning and insert your name there. Consider this letter is written to you this morning. And I want you to consider what the Holy Spirit got in an old apostle that's been dead many, many years, but it still applies to you today. So insert your name there. When he says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, my dearly beloved daughter, consider what this letter says and why it says what it says. Because at the end of the day, like I'm saying Paul's writing it, but he's being guided by the Holy Spirit to write these specific, each individual word. And it applies to us in 2022 today. I hope we all agree with that this morning, because if you don't, well, I mean, you're just going to stop listening. It applies today. So, he says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you thankful today that it did not say condemnation, judgment, and no peace from God and from Jesus? You know, that would that'd be, yeah, you want to talk about disrupting your life. Think about that. That's not the message of the gospel. Praise be to God. The message of the gospel today is grace, mercy, and peace from God and from Jesus. That's a wonderful message, folks. That's a message that in your dark days, it'll get you through. In your worst days, it'll get you through. The things that you dread in life. And I'll tell you what, I don't, don't ever think that preachers don't have dread. I do. I still have to deal with things in life. I still have to deal with people. I still have to deal with humans. And I'll tell you what, people just, you know, we can't do, we don't do things right, do we? Even me. I don't do things right. I want to, but, I, you know, I just, I don't. And I mess up, and I fail, and I drop the ball. And I tell you, there's a lot of ball dropping going on in this time in society. And sometimes the balls that get dropped or have my name on them. And then I have to figure out how, how, to, how to fix it. And I'll tell you what, that's a dread. Because, see, I don't want the ball to stop rolling. <laughs> when the ball stops rolling, then you get in real trouble. The ball's got to keep rolling. 
But sometimes things out of your control happen, but you have to fix them. You have to figure them out. And you have to talk to people that are higher and a whole lot more power than you are that can stop the ball if they want to. And it's difficult. It's very dreadful. But you know, sometimes I stay up at night dreading the next day, dreading conversations or meetings that I have to have. But you know what? The next day when I actually have those meetings or I actually have to deal with those people face to face, you know it's never as bad as what I dreaded. It never is. You know, the Lord, did you know that he knew what he would endure through when he came to this earth? He knew every ounce of pain that he would feel. He knew it all. And he dreaded it. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross. He dreaded it. He dreaded it so bad he sweat blood that night. And yet he went anyway, knowing full well what he would have to endure through. But that's not the message for us. Because he dreaded it and because he knew and because he still was willing to go. We don't have to live in dread. We can live in what? Grace, mercy, and peace. Because who does it come from? It comes from God and Jesus. That's who it comes from. That's a pretty good encouragement, isn't it? I would think so. I would think that that would be one of the most encouraging statements that is in all the Bible. To know that. Paul needed it. Timothy needed it. I don't tell you, if they need it, we need it. We need to know that. We need to hold on to that. We need to be established in that. That's a foundation that you can stand on. You don't have to worry about that rock moving. Because it's built in Jesus. Verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now, he calls Timothy a son here. Now, Timothy was not his biological son. Timothy was his son in the ministry. Just like I have fathers in the ministry. And I'm going to tell you, when we start viewing each other, brothers and sisters here, and it's good that we, I love among the old veterans, we call each other brother and sister. I love that. Because see, a true brother and a true sister, just like a true father and a true mother, you're always on each other's mind, are you not? For you that have uh, children, are, are your children not always on your mind? Mine are. They're in Florida right now. And I think about them. I thought about them when I was going to bed last night. I thought about them when I woke up this morning. I think about them all day today. Why? Because they're my children. I'm an only child, so I don't have brothers and sisters. But I feel like if I had natural brothers and sisters, because I have spiritual brothers and sisters, I would think about them often too. Paul thinks about Timothy often because he considers him very close 
closer than a brother family. Remember, Jesus is closer than a brother. And that's the way we ought to think about each other here. That's the way a local assembly ought to work. When one of you is hurting, and this is talked about in the New Testament also, when one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body knows it, right? If you hit your thumb with a hammer, your toe knows about it. Your stomach knows about it. You curl up. Oh, man, I've done it too many times. That's the way a body ought to work. So the stomach ought to always be praying for that thumb when the other other hand's holding a hammer, right? That's the way we ought to think and pray for each other. We ought to always be on each other's mind. We ought to be remembering and thinking about what, what what each individual goes through on a daily basis. You know, that's why I'm not into mega churches. How do I keep up with 10,000 people? It's hard enough to keep up with, say, 20 or 30. Because, see, we ought to give the mental effort to think specifically about each and every member of our brothers and sisters in Christ, our local assembly, to be praying specifically for each other. Just like Timothy, or Paul encourages Timothy, that he did for him. Even though he wasn't in his presence... He remembered Timothy in a very special way. And he prayed for Timothy in a very special way. And he says here, he says, that I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Night and day. Why do you think he thought about him night and day? Well, part of it has to do with time. And when I say time, I mean in the time that they lived. They didn't have TV. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have internet. They didn't have vehicles. They didn't have ball games. They didn't have distractions like we have. Okay? So what I'm telling you this morning, if you want to be like this, it comes with some sacrifice. But that's okay because Romans 12 tells us what? To be what? Living sacrifices. So that means if you want to be closer To your brothers and sisters, guess what? You're going to have to sacrifice some time of some material or some busyness, some distractions. You're going to have to give some of that up. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think you'll have a closer walk with God? And I know you're all thinking yes. So is the sacrifice worth it? And that's what the devil's probably whispering in your ear saying, man, maybe. Don't listen to that. We'll truly never understand the closeness that we really do need with God until we start sacrificing some things out of our lives. Until we're willing to give up what we think is so important in our lives to do the service of God. The service of God is to pray for others. You want true joy? Be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus was the Lord of lords, King of kings, Master of all, who did what? Who washed his dirty disciples' feet. Do you think he... Well, he did. He told us. He said, I've given you an example. An example When we humble ourselves and are willing, and I'm going to tell you folks, this is hard. When I'm standing here preaching, it's hard. 
the disciples constantly struggle with it. You know what the, you know what the disciples seem to talk want to talk about the most? Who's the greatest? That conversation was brought up three or four different times. The last time it was brought up, actually it wasn't. The last time it was brought up was right before Jesus ascended into heaven. He told Peter three times to do something, and then what did Peter do? He looked over at John, he said, what about him? That's the way our pitiful minds work. And that was a conversation they had multiple times. The time that comes to mind as Jesus is after he washes their feet, they have it again. Who's, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Lord? And he said, the greatest in the kingdom is the least. The greatest in the kingdom is, is the one that's willing to give up, to sacrifice the things that this world and the devil throws at us is the most important things of life. To not worry about those and to just be the humblest the the most servant. He says, I'm praying for you, Timothy. You know somebody else that prays for us, that has prayed for us and does pray for us? That's the Lord Jesus. John 17. He has prayed for you individually. Of course, he knows your name. <laughs> He's wrote it in the Lamb's Book of Life. He knows the number of hairs on your head and he has prayed for you and he intercedes for you. Have you ever been in a place in life where you're trying to pray but you don't know exactly how to formulate the thought in your mind, much less speak it? I had this... Uh, Guy tell me about this. He, uh, his little girl was out walking around in the yard one day, just saying A B C D E F G H I J K Elemental P. And he said, "What are you doing, honey?" She said, "I'm praying." He said, it "Sounds like you're saying alphabet." She said, well, "I don't know the words to say, so I'm just getting all the letters out." And God put it all together. He knows what's on my my heart. Tell you what, folks, I've had that. That touched me. I can't tell you how many times like I just can't formulate a thought to get to God. But because he is my intercession, he, he actually takes my thoughts, which aren't clear thoughts. He perfects them and presents them to the Father as a perfect prayer. Romans 8 tells us about that. He's praying for us. Verse 4, Paul greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. There was a time that Paul and Timothy got to be real close. They got to be real close. Tears are drops of glue that bond people together. When you can be close enough to somebody that you can be an emotional wreck and that you can just cry together, I'll tell you what, that's a very special time and don't forget those times. Hold on to them closely. Because that right there, again, it's a bonding that 
You'll, you can't get any other way. Paul and Timothy had bonded that way. They had bonded in a way that was very personal to both of them. And that's why Paul reminds Timothy of that time. He doesn't elaborate on that time. He doesn't have to. He just talks about his tears. And he says, And when I'm mindful of thy tears, I am filled with joy. Tears, a lot of times, are sad tears. But tears are also, and can be, joyous tears. And again, they're a bond. He says that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. That's genuine. Genuine faith. Not a fake faith. Not a lazy faith. A genuine faith. He says I I call to remembrance that faith. And he wants to encourage Timothy again. And he brings up his grandmother and his mom. And I'll tell you what, it's a, if you had been blessed to grow up in a home or a family that has a mother and a grandmother or a daddy and a granddaddy, it can even be an uncle, an aunt, it can be people in your life that are not even part of your family, but they took you under their wing and tried their best, and it might have been in a, another order of faith. It doesn't matter. What I'm trying to tell you is it's a very unique and personal thing that you ought not to take for granted. If somebody in your life has tried their best to bring you up in the church, Timothy experienced that. Now, this is kind of the first century church here. He was probably brought up in, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was brought up in, but here's what I do know. Is Paul saw faith in his grandmother, and Paul saw the unfeigned, genuine faith in his mama, and he saw it in Timothy too. And he's encouraging Timothy, hey, that's, that's good. You remember them. And he says, so I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. See, if you're born of the Spirit, you have the gift in you. It's in you. This faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. However, we are commanded to stir it up. What's that mean? Well, I'm trying to think of a good one, but you know, When you're cooking, what happens? Well, if you don't stir it, what happens? Whatever you're cooking, it'll just kind of go to the bottom on it. And it'll just lay there. So what do you have to do? You have to constantly be stirring, right? And what's that do? It, it lets it cook uh, equally throughout, right? He says to stir it up. Don't just leave it alone. Don't just leave it on the stove and let it burn. He says to stir it up. That's our responsibility. He says, I put thee in remembrance. How do we stir up our gift? Well, I'm going to tell you, we do it, I hope, every first 
day of the week. You know, it, it kind of drives me crazy sometimes. I've, I've got some guys in my life that like to work seven days a week. I don't understand why. I just don't get it. I don't like work that much. Five days is plenty. Sometimes I'll do a six, but I don't like it. But I'm not working the first day of the week. I absolutely refuse to. I just do. I don't care what's going on. It don't bother me. I, I just absolutely refuse to. And I've got guys that they'll work seven days a week. And then it'll get to Tuesday and they don't know what day it is. They ain't got a clue. And they'll be asking me, is, is it Wednesday? It's not, it can't be Thursday. Is it Tuesday? I have no clue. You know, this day is a, a day of reset. This day is a day of remembrance. This day is a day that we come together and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a day that the disciples were met and the Lord appeared in the room. He didn't walk through the door. You know, doors are shut. <laughs> but he just appeared. It's a day of rejoicing. It's the first day of the week. And we are supposed to gather together to remember. To remember his sacrifice, which gives us motivation why we should sacrifice. We're here to remember his doctrine, his word, his instruction. And that way we can, no matter how terribly we've messed the week up, because I'm telling you, we can, we can mess the week up badly. Doesn't matter how bad we can mess the week up, guess what? Sunday morning is the morning that we can push reset. Each and every week. We can do it daily. Sometimes daily is hard. But Sunday, there's something special about a Sunday morning, is it not? It's a day of remembrance. And it's a day that we ought to be stirred. Who stirs you? Is it yourself or is it the Lord? I want to ask that question. See, if it's yourself, and it is, it's on you. But see, you can't stir the Spirit. Only the Lord can. But it's your responsibility to, to be seek to be stirred. If you're seeking the right things, He will stir you. He says, so I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And then he's going to go into some doctrinal things here. Now what I find so interesting about this again is why he uses the specific terms and wording that he uses right here. It almost seems like it doesn't fit, but it does for a very specific reason. He says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> that is something that this world, the devil, his angels, I'll tell you, they are spinning fear as fast and as often as they can. I didn't even know about it because I quit watching the news, I don't know, a while ago, years ago. There's a pox, a monkey pox or something. I don't even know. Y'all ain't. Kind of looking at me, see, y'all might not know either. Hopefully you're in my boat and don't watch that junk. 
Because that's what it is. But I tell you, it, it, it's ongoing. See, when you live in a state of fear, you know what you do? Nothing. When you live in a state of fear, you're froze. You're froze. You won't move. Because you're scared if you do move, the enemy might see you move and they'll kill you. So you freeze and you don't move. You're not going forwards, you're not going backwards. You're just froze in time because you're in fear. But he specifically shows us here that that's not of God. Fear is not of God. You know how many times Jesus said fear not? The phrase fear not, I believe, is found about 360, 365 times. I think, actually, I think it's 365 times in the scriptures. And each time the phrase fear not is found in the scriptures, do you know God tells, tells you in that very specific spot why to not fear? That tells me that the Lord, by his divine power, gave us one fear not for every day of the year. I like that. I like that. One for every day of the year. Why we shouldn't fear. He says, God has not given that. It's not of God. Fear is not of God. Why do you think fear is not of God? I mean, God is all power, is he not? It says that he is all power in heaven and in earth. You remember Jesus, John 17, 2? He says, thou hast given me power over all flesh. We're flesh. Animals are flesh. Fish are flesh. There's flesh everywhere. Jesus says, I have all power. Not some power. All power. You remember when Pilate, you remember when Pilate told Jesus, he says, Don't you know that I have power to crucify thee or to let thee go? And Jesus says, Thou couldst have no power against me unless it were given thee from heaven. Jesus is all power. Do you think Jesus has any fear? No. He doesn't. And that's why his spirit that resides in us does not have fear. There's a part of you that doesn't fear death, and there's a part of you that fears death. That's called new man, old man. There's a part of you that fears being, quote unquote, known as a Christian, and then there's a part of you that wants to shout it from the rooftops. That's called new man, old man. This old country boy right here deals with it. You know how many people don't know I'm a preacher? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because there's a part of me that fears to be known to be a preacher. And there's a part of me that doesn't. New man, old man. And you have to be able to discern between the two. And you have to allow the white dog in you, the new man. you got to feed him. Not that old black dog in you. He says, this fear is not of God. But what is of God? What has he given us? He's given us what? It's power and love and a sound mind. That's what is of God. That's what God's given you. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. He says, so don't be ashamed. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Have you ever caught yourself being ashamed of Jesus? 
It's okay. Do you think, and the reason I say it's okay, is because here Timothy probably is in some sort of state of shamefulness because of Jesus. I would go as far as to say that Paul lived it too. Well, why do you say that? Because he's writing about it. If the Apostle Paul and Timothy both dealt with it, do you not think that we are going to deal with it too? Of course we are. And that's why he wrote about it. But it's clear instruction here. Don't don't be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And I want you to remember that word testimony. Testimony is to testify, to declare. Okay? Because that's what he's fixed to talk about. What is, it that, what is it that we are not supposed to be ashamed of? It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. What was his testimony? What did he declare? I'm going to tell you, he declared, well, a lot. But the one main thing that he declared was the last thing he said on the cross when he said, it is finished, declaring that salvation was accomplished. You know, I work during the day. And sometimes I'll get a phone call and I'll say, hey, you know, how you doing? And I'll say, oh, you know, I'm just finishing up my day. That's a lie, okay? It's just a phrase that we all use. Yeah, I'm just finishing up. I'm not finishing up because i got to go back the next day. Did you get that moment in your day? Yeah, I got finished a little bit ago. Well, that's just for that day. I got to do it again later. Our finish is not the same finish as Jesus. When Jesus says it is finished, he sat down forever. He declared it was done, it was accomplished. Remember on the Mount Transfiguration? You remember when he met with Moses and Elijah? You remember what they talked about? They talked about his death, which he should accomplish. It's truly finished. That's the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it involves a whole lot more than that, which he's fixing to go into here. He says, don't be ashamed of this testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ or of me as prisoner. Why does he include himself? Because he preaches it. He testifies of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel. I don't tell you what, if you're going to truly preach the gospel, if you're going to truly testify of the testimony of Jesus Christ, you will find afflictions in this world because this world is not a friend of God. There are afflictions in the true gospel message. There's afflictions in churches of the true gospel message. What's the true gospel message? Well, he's fixing to tell us. He says, be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Notice that. Who hath saved us? Hath saved is perfect past tense language. It's not just past tense, it's perfect past tense. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works. When did God call you? When did the Lord put his spirit in you? When did he call you by name? Ezekiel said, I was, I was abandoned. I was uh, cast. I was a castaway. But the Lord came over 
And it was a time of love and he spoke, he declared unto me, live. And that's a capital L-I-V-E, live. When did the Lord declare to your soul, live? You might remember it, you might not. Saul of Tarsus remembered it. John the Baptist didn't. I believe the thief on the cross did. I wonder about like Peter and James and John the Apostle and Andrew and Bartholomew. I wonder. We don't really know. We weren't given that. But we were given three specifics. One was born again in his mother's womb. John the Baptist. We got Saul of Tarsus, I believe, born again on the road to Damascus, and then we got the thief on the cross. So you might remember your holy calling, you might not. Here's the thing. It, was it according to your works or not? Was it according to your effort? That's what work is, is effort. To find God... Or was it according to his effort to find you? That's the divide, folks. That's the divide in all Christianity today. Was it your effort to find God or was it his effort to find you? And I'll tell you what we believe here, according to what the Bible says right here, that it wasn't according to us trying to find God. Praise be to Jesus. It's because he found us. We would have never found God. We would have never looked for God. The fool was saying in his heart, there is no God. I'll tell you what, before we were born again, we were all fools. We would have never looked for God. But praise be to Jesus that he, because of his love for us, he found us. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This is the gospel message. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It was according to his own purpose, not according to mine. I had a will. And my will was like Saul of Tarsus. What are the nutcases doing over there going to church on a Sunday morning? I mean, that don't make any sense. Backwoods hillbillies. What are they doing? But when it was the Lord's time, he made me a part of it. It was according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I mean, it gets better. Before, in the beginning, there was something that was given to us, and it was given to us in Christ Jesus, it was given to us before the creation. Before the creation. But notice this, verse 10, but now, but is now. And when you read the word is now, did you know that's always present tense? So I say it is now. That was uh, it is present was past now, but it is now present again. <laughs> it's always present, but is now made manifest or made known. Did you know that this was not made known 
for so many centuries. The Bible talks about that these things were hidden. They were hidden. Who hid them? God hid them. Why? I don't know. One of the things I'd, you know, maybe get to ask the Lord when we get to heaven. But but the scripture tells us he hid those things. But now he has made them known by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light. I'm glad to see the sun shining today. You know, on cloudy days or late evenings or especially at night, you know, I'm, I try to be careful where I'm walking, what I'm stepping on or over. I might fall down and hurt myself. I need a little light. The gospel is light. He says he has brought life. Notice Jesus has brought life. He has brought immortality to light through the gospel. What is the gospel? What's the purpose of the gospel? I ask you this morning. Is it to save sinners to heaven? No, it's to shine light on Jesus Christ. It's to turn that light on and it points straight to the cross of Calvary. It points to the blood of Jesus Christ. It points to His grace, His mercy. It points to His peace. It points to His spirit. It points to His work. It points to His accomplishments. And for the immortal man, that's afflictions. That's a struggle. But he says to take part of those afflictions. Take part of the struggle. Why? Why does he want us to keep keep on keeping on? Why? Because somewhere in there, did you know that you're going to help other people find the anchor to their soul? See, their soul is already anchored, but they don't know it. The gospel shines that light to that anchor and lets others know that that anchor is Jesus. Or to be partakers of that. That tells me that we, we, can, we can have a part, if you will, in someone's, and I'm going to use this word, salvation, but it's not eternal. But we do. When you encourage somebody in the Lord, and they can see Jesus more clearly, to where now they're leaning on Jesus to, you, the Lord blessed you to have a part in somebody's salvation. That's a deliverance, but it's a timely de- deliverance. It's not eternal. Only Jesus has all part in eternal salvation. But he says to be a partaker. I'm thankful, though, that he lines this out in a very specific way here. Of course, the 11th verse says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. The Lord appointed Paul to be a preacher. I'll tell you what, Paul wasn't looking to be a preacher. 
Paul was a murderer. But he was appointed, and God appointed him. And when God appoints you to do something, I'm going to tell you what, if you try to run from that, it's a bad, bad thing to be doing. He says, I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Did you know we're all teachers? If you've been born of the Spirit, did you know you have a ministry? Each and every one of you. Male, female, old, young, boy, girl, every single one of you has a ministry. That means you're supposed to be ministering to the ones around you. I want y'all to think about that. If today was your last day on earth, you died today. I'm thinking about me when I'm talking to y'all. Today's my last day on earth. I'm fixing to go home to glory. Would the Lord say good job or not? Would he say you've been faithful, you've been a good minister, or would he say I brought you home early because you weren't doing good enough? I think about that. We all ought to think about that. You only got one life in this life. Give God the glory for it. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We have the number.